0: Welcome back to episode number 155 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast where we're building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about five common questions about NFPA 652. So this topic comes from a presentation that I recently gave as part of the NFPA 125th Annual Conference Series. This year, this is being held as a year-long conference series where each month, They have a different range of topics where they give presentations and webinars and bring on folks to talk about different topics related to the NFPA standards. This most recent uh, conference series in October was keeping hazardous environments safe. Uh, It involved hot work, flammable liquids, fuel gas, industrial siting near communities, energy storage, and combustible dust. I was fortunate enough to be invited to give the presentation on combustible dust on NFPA 652 at this event um, in October. So this presentation specifically I gave, you know, the the purpose was to outline the hazards of combustible dust, to highlight NFPA 652 compliance requirements, but through the discussions with NFPA and the, the organizer of the event, they really wanted to jump into, you know, what are the most common questions from NFPA 652 and what are some of the challenges that people have actually implementing this standard at the end of the day? They want to know how, you know, example dust hazard analysis, how this could change the outcome of an actual accident at the end of the day as well. Um, and, and, you know, why and how does someone actually follow NFPA 652? They reach out to us as part of a training committee for recent uh, NFPA 652 training that they were doing. We've talked about this on previous podcast episodes, but they also see the work that we're doing with dust safety professionals. And each week now we're getting requests, tickets being put into that system. We're placing companies to work doing things like hazard analysis, doing things like testing, ATEX zoning in, in Europe, and really across the world, different Industries involved in combustible dust, and we're starting to see what are the common challenges and questions that people have, and that's really the background, the backbone of this presentation. So we'll be talking through some of the presentation material in the next couple of podcast episodes. This one we're going to talk about the five common questions about nfa 652. I think this will probably take two sessions. We'll see. I try to keep the the episodes to last around half an hour, so folks can catch the whole thing on their way in the car or to the gym or wherever you're listening to these podcast episodes at. So we'll cover as many questions as we can. And then there's four common challenges, more discussion points, things I talked about in this presentation. We'll cover this after we go through the five common questions. So the five common questions are sort of the structure. You know, what is in NFP 652, the, the what needs to be done? Some of the common challenges then we'll talk about in later podcast episode are, you know, how does it actually get implemented and what comes up that's difficult to master or navigate with regards to implementation of 652. So this was a visual presentation. I did have slides when I gave it as part of the NFPA conference series. I'm going to do my best here to um, reformat the information in a way that it can be uh, consumed through audio through this podcast. But you can go check out the actual NFPA presentation itself. Um, Go to NFPA.org, look for the Keeping Hazardous Environment Safe series, or you can join the Dust Safety Academy. I'll be giving this presentation again in November, which is probably around the same time this podcast episode will come out. So you can join and, and watch there free. If you don't make that session, you can always join DSA Premium Membership and access to the over 100 webinars we have inside the Duff Safety Academy as well. So let's dive into the topic. So what are the five common questions about NFPA 652? Um, before we sort of get into the challenges of implementing it, you know, what, what is involved with 652? So we're going through five questions. What is the problem that NFPA 652 addresses? What is 652? What is the structure that's in there? Does it apply to me? What does a DHA process look like? And who is a qualified person? So for these last two questions, it's it's a pretty involved discussion. I actually walk through a mock-up DHA, um, looking at a facility and how performing that DHA would have potentially reduced the, the loss from explosion that really happened. That's a bit of a bigger chunk of time. So I'm thinking that when we get through to the end of does NFPA 652 applied to me. In this episode we're we'll probably be around the half-hour an hour mark, so we'll end the podcast there. The next week we'll come on back on and dive deep into what does the DHA process look like, what are the steps involved, and who is a qualified person. So in the first question, what problem does NFPA 652 solve? Can really be highlighted by looking at a couple of stories or a couple of cases that involve combustible dust. So one of the most well-known, at least here in North America, Incidents involving combustible dust is the Imperial Sugar Refinery in Savannah, Georgia. In 2008, when this explosion happened, there was a clogging underneath a silo that was in an enclosed tunnel. And this clogging led to an explosion in that tunnel, which propagated throughout the tunnel, which propagated throughout bucket elevators, um, and caused subsequent secondary and tertiary explosions throughout the facility due to high levels of fugitive dust accumulation. And very large destruction basically the full destruction of the packaging room the full destruction of the silo the bucket elevator tower and then other adjacent buildings as well so you have a very large explosion housekeeping was an issue dust collection was an issue fugitive dust several explosions outside of equipment that ruptured floors which caused more dust to rain down which caused more fueling of the explosion um, and unfortunately led to the deaths of 14 workers that day when the explosion happened in February 2008 So when people think about combustible dust, a lot of time that's what they're thinking about is a large explosion that has secondary and tertiary components to it. Fugitive dust destroys an entire building, a lot of explosions outside of equipment. That's not the only challenge we have as a community. It is a challenge. It is a big challenge. It's something that needs to be addressed. But there are other challenges as well. So back in episode 78 of the podcast, we covered a case study of a grain dust explosion in a milling facility. We did this with an interview with Dr. Suzanne Smith from Exponent. This was based on a paper that she published uh, with her co-workers at Exponent in the Journal of Loss Prevention, The Process Industries. This was lessons learned from a milling explosion. So we talked about this incident before, but this was an, a case where they had a fire in a attrition mill. They turned off the system, cleaned out the attrition mill, and when they started that back up, a deflagration happened in the mill, propagated throat ducting several stories to the top of the building into a cyclone, back several hundred feet into the dust collector had a very large explosion inside the dust collector then the dust collector was vented as per Npate guidelines but not for an explosion that was unisolated propagating through several hundred feet of ducting pre-pressurizing that system lean turbulence generation leading to a much faster flame so the interesting thing we covered in this discussion with dr Smith was there was no fugitive dust visible in this facility all of the explosions until the very last venting through the the dust collector that destroyed the back corner of the building were inside of equipment not your traditional fugitive dust host keeping as the challenge secondary explosions and tertiary explosions inside of equipment it was all contained within multiple pieces of equipment throughout the facility so that's like another kind of view um, where you have explosion propagates from one piece of equipment to another but it can also just involve one piece of equipment it doesn't have to be connected vessels it doesn't have to be connected buildings there's plenty of cases where explosions you know blowing out the bottoms of wood dust hoppers, zipping open bucket elevator shafts, um, destroying mixers, destroying sievers, destroying attrition and milling equipment. We have an explosion in a single piece of equipment or in a dumping station or in a bin, which is enough to destroy product, destroy the facility and, and injure workers and take lives as well. So it could be, you know, multiple pieces of equipment, large parts of the facility. It can also be just one single piece of equipment that has an ignition, leads to an explosion. Then the last two kind of stories I shared in the presentation and I want to share here is these can be extremely large incidents. I've talked about this one before of Kunsheng, China, where they had aluminum dust explosion in 2014 in a wheel polishing operation, which killed at least 146 workers. Massive explosion. Afterwards, the photos show aluminum hubs just melted, pancakes. That's how hot the inferno was inside the facility after the explosion happened. So it can be you a know, very large impact on a, on a massive scale on many, many lives. It can also be a very large impact on just one worker. And I've told the story before of Kyle Flicker, who was involved in a rubber dust explosion. This is featured in a Fox News video or a Fox News interview with Kyle called The Danger of Dust, How Small Particles Can Cause Big Problems. We touched on this a bit back in episode 150 of the podcast with Jake LeFerrier from uh, Firefighters for Healing, who was involved with Kyle in his um, recovery process. But in this incident, the worker, Kyle, had a fire in his lathe. He was running a, a rubber lathe. He got sucked into the dust collection equipment. Kyle went into the out of the building into the external room that housed the dust collector, climbed a ladder saw a small flame that was about the size of a lighter's flame and brushed that flame with his hand. And that act caused a deflagration in the room that Kyle could not escape from until somebody uh, you know, heard him screaming and came and got him. He's in a coma for several months. A very, very large recovery period. They gave him a very small percentage chance to live. Thankfully, he did. Um, and he's you know still here with us today to, to talk about this and discuss it and just live his life. But very massive impact, very long recovery period related to combustible dust. Very big challenge here on the impact in just one life. So, you know, the reason I'm telling all this and saying all this is we have explosions outside of equipment, explosions inside of equipment, explosions in multiple pieces, many pieces of interconnected vessels, large buildings with different, um, you know, rooms and things. Or it's a single piece of equipment, a single dump station, a single bin. We have large... Facility destroying explosions that, you know, just level full buildings that can take dozens or even hundreds of lives. We have incidents that can impact, you know, a single life and change that single life forever. And just the, the kind of the end point here is, you know, wouldn't it be nice to have a structured way to identify the materials that pose fire, flash, fire, and explosion hazards? Analyze where and when these hazards may arise. Evaluate safeguards need to prevent personal injury and damage and recommend and track progress against improving these safeguards over time. And that is the whole framework that NFPA 652, the Fundamentals of Combustible Dust, provides. That's the whole reason that's there, is to give a structured process to identify hazards, to make recommendations on how to improve those hazards and their safeguards moving forward, and to recommend and track the progress against time of those hazards. That is the whole goal of 652, to provide that framework to address these sort of challenges that are very disparate. Large explosions, small explosions, inside equipment, outside equipment, multiple pieces of equipment, very large destruction with multiple um, workers involved, and and very small destruction with single workers involved that can still have an extremely large impact. Trying to cover all of these across a broad spectrum of different materials, from plastics to organics to metals, different processes from foundries to powder coating to food production to, to farming and grain storage and woodworking shops at high schools and all of the above is is the framework and the structure that NPA 652 is trying to provide. This is the, the problem that 652 solves is to provide that framework and that structure and how do we address those challenges in a systematic way as a community moving forward. So the second common question around 652 is just how is it structured and what's in there? What's actually contained in 652 at the end of the day, you know, what is NFPA 652 and what does it do? So NFPA 652 is the standard on the fundamentals of combustible dust. This sits sort of in the middle of the NFPA standards and engineering guidelines for combustible dust. Again, it is the framework, it's the, the strategy, the what needs to be done, not necessarily the how so much. In order to get to the how, it points out to other NFPA standards for materials and industries specifically including NFPA 61 on agricultural and food dust, 665 on sulfur, 484 on combustible metals, 664 on wood processing, and 654 on other particulates. It also points out to the so-called how-to standards. Standards like NFPA 68 on deflagration venting, 69 on other deflagration prevention and protection measures, NFPA 70 for the electrical code, and NFPA 499 for hazardous locations and other standards in the NFPA portfolio, and other standards that exist outside of the NFPA portfolio as well. But 652, again, is the the why and the how and the framework for tackling the challenge of combustible dust. 652 is broken into several chapters. Um, there's administration, reference publications, and definitions. When you pick it up, if you start reading it from front to back, you'll find a lot of, um, not so much how-to guidance, but a lot of that administrative material doesn't really start until you get into chapter four. So chapter four is on general requirements. Chapter five is on hazard identification. So this is your testing. Chapter six is on performance-based design. Chapter seven is on dust hazard analysis. Chapter eight is on management systems. And chapter nine is on hazard management, mitigation, and prevention uh, approaches. So the, the requirements for owners and operators then are outlined in chapter four. And it specifically says the owner and operator of a facility with a potentially combustible dust shall be responsible for the following activities. I'll paraphrase a bit, but determine the combustibility and explosibility of the materials in accordance with Chapter 5. Identify any fire, flash fire and explosion hazards in accordance with Chapter 7. Manage the hazards in accordance with Section 4.2.4, which is your compliance options and then communicating these hazards to affected personnel in accordance with the training and awareness section, which is 9.5 of the standard. So four requirements. Identify the hazards, analyze the hazards, manage the hazards, and then communicate those hazards to employees and personnel. And it points off to different sections of the actual document on how to do this. So I do want to touch on compliance options, this you know managing the hazards. After we've identified the hazard exists, after we've done the analysis, how do we manage the hazards? We're going to circle back to this probably in a couple of podcast episodes when we come through on the common challenges for combustible dust. In particular, the scope of a dust hazard analysis, but I kind of want to tease that in or, or talk about it um, briefly here. So section 4.2.4, which again is directly mentioned as a responsibility of an owner and operator states that the compliance options, and these are to meet life safety, mission continuity, and mitigation of fire and spread and explosions. It states that the objective of Section 4.2, so the, the compliance options, shall be deemed to have been met by implementing either of the following, a prescriptive approach in accordance with Chapters 5, 7, 9, and 8, in conjunction with any prescription provisions in application commodity, of application commodity-specific standards. That's option one. And then option two is a performance-based approach in accordance with Chapter 6 of 652. So we're going to focus more on the prescriptive approach in this podcast episode. Performance-based design is also a great avenue as well. It requires a knowledgeable individual who can do the analysis without bias of the processing operation or without bias of the outcome. Um, and there's there's several you know circumstances and cases where this will provide a less conservative approach as prescriptive approaches as well. But it's helpful to know the prescriptive approaches because they give you the baseline. Really, you should have an idea of what your prescriptor approach says the safeguard should be before doing a performance-based approach so you know what your sort of baseline minimum level of safety is. So let's focus on this prescriptor approach. So in order to meet compliance, owner and operators then need to meet Chapter 5, 7, 9, and 8 of NFPA 652. And again, this is hazard identification, dust hazard analysis, management systems, and hazard management mitigation and prevention. So, in this episode, in the next couple of minutes, we're going to talk about chapters four, five, and seven a bit more. But I want to mention that this this compliance requirement is here as the third responsibility of owners and operators, because we're going to come back and talk about how chapters eight and chapter nine um, actually kind of muddy the waters a bit for what is involved in a dust hazard analysis. When you go to get a quote as a company to do a DHA, you're going to find a range of answers to the question what is a dust hazard analysis? It really comes down to interpretations of how these um, compliance objectives are outlaid. So uh, I guess that's enough of a teaser. We're going to come back to that of the scope of dust hazard analysis um, in a later podcast episode. But I just want to put that out there now that this is sort of where this stems from. is a bit of this compliance requirements for chapters five, seven, nine, and 8. So chapter 5 on hazard identification then really asks two questions. Do you produce, generate, or handle a potentially combustible dust? And have you determined the combustibility or explosibility of that dust? And if you have not, then this chapter tells you how to do that. So it talks about screening tests. It talks about um, deflagration parameters and determining the combustibility and explosibility of your uh, materials that you're working with as well. So it sort of outlines that. And it points out to other standards like ASTM E1226 or E, I think it's 3030 for minimum explosible concentration points out to other international standards on how to actually do the testing at the end of the day, but it gives you sort of the framework of, of you know, what the requirements are for identifying the hazards with your combustible dust. Chapter 7, which is dust, the dust hazard analysis chapter, gives you the requirements for performing a DHA. So in 7.2.1 overview, it says that a DHA shall evaluate the fire, deflagration, and explosion hazards. And provide recommendations to manage those hazards in accordance with section 4.2. So, this is the, we're going to say the bare minimum, the basic DHA is evaluation of fire, deflagration, explosion hazards, and providing recommendations on how to manage those hazards. That's the baseline scope that a DHA should have. And hopefully, they get all the hazards. And we've talked on this podcast a lot of cases where hazards are missed, hazards are misinterpreted, recommendations maybe aren't so, you know, done so well. But that is the baseline requirement of DHA. Evaluate the fire, deflagration, and explosion hazards and provide recommendations. Chapter 7 also says that a DHA shall be performed and led by a qualified person. We're going to talk about this probably in next week's episode, who is a qualified person. It requires that the results of DHA are documented, including any necessary action items, requiring change to process materials, physical properties, physical processes, rather, processing operations, or facilities associated with the process. So this chapter five and chapter seven, again, really cover the the what needs to be done. We talk about how that gets implemented. This is referenced in chapter nine, mostly, in the hazard management, <laughs> mitigation, and prevention sections. And you'll find this one then is the, the chapter that points out to all the commodity-specific standards and points out to the how-to standards for combustible dust. So it's really important that a consultant or a qualified person that's doing a DHA really know chapter 9 and really know all the other standards as part of the NFPA um, combustible dust list of standards at that facility. We're going to talk about this again later when we talk about some of the challenges with the combustible dust in a qualified person as well. So that is really what's inside NFPA 652. Um, general requirements, hazard identification, dust hazard analysis, and then pointing through to management systems, hazard management, mitigation and prevention, does have some sections there in performance based design. And again, this is something that is worth covering in another podcast episode. Remember the prescriptive approaches, it really follows through chapter four, chapter five, must meet the requirements of chapter seven and chapter eight as an owner and operator. We're going to talk a bit again when we get into the challenges, where scoping of DHAs come into play. That gives you an idea of what is actually in NFP 652 and how it's structured, which is the second question that we're covering in this episode. The third question then is okay, well, we understand why it's important. We understand what it is, 652. Does it apply to me? Does it apply to my facility or does it apply to you? At the end of the day, I guess is the the right way to put it. And how are some ways in which I may be compelled to comply with NFP 652? So there's a couple of these I talked about in the presentation that are worth bringing up. The first one, and I think probably the biggest one moving forward, or one of the big ones moving forward is that is now part of the International Fire Code requirements, which is generally the template standard for you know, local fire requirements. So the 2018 version of the IFC uh, in Chapter 22 on combustible dust producing operations states under owner responsibility that the owner and operator of facility with operations that manufacture, process, blend, convey, repackage, generate, or handle potentially combustible dust or combustible particulate solids Shall be responsible for compliance with the revisions of this code and NFPA 652. In the next section, it says the requirements of NFPA 652 apply to all new and existing facilities and operations with combustible dust hazards. Existing facilities shall have a dust hazard analysis completed in accordance with Section 7.1.2 of NFPA 652. So this is now explicitly outlined in the International Fire Code 2018. As states and local jurisdictions adopt the model code, the model IFC, either directly or by reference, these requirements will come into play. I think there's maybe a handful of states today that are already using the 2018 version of the International Fire Code. But as the other states come along, a lot of them will be on 2012 um, and previous versions. As they get moved up to 2008, they'll start to inherit this requirement for NFPA 652 and a DHA to be completed. There's also requirements through OSHA, and in particular, there's requirements in many of the OSHA standards related to combustible dust. I'll just list off a couple of them. There's there's 1910.1200, which is hazard communication standard. There's 1910.38, which is emergency action plans. There's grain handling standards, pulp and paper and paper board mills, sawmills, bakery equipment, hazardous locations, which is 1910.307. And then there's the general duty clause with with OSHA as well, which is one that really commonly gets cited with combustible dust as well, is not keeping your workers free of known hazards. It's kind of interesting that they use that terminology, known hazards, because we're going to talk about what that means in in the end of this section as well, um, or what that might mean at the end of the section as well, but kind of keep that in mind. The general duty clause, keeping employees free from known hazards, and generally will point to the specific NFPA standards that address those hazards as the sort of background or support for that um, citation. So International Fire Code and OSHA are two of the ways you may be compelled to meet 652. There's several other insurance companies, fire marshals, local adoption you know, by municipalities of NFPA guidelines, either by reference or, or holding completely or partially, um, internal company requirements, and industry and trade association requirements. All are different ways that you may be compelled to meet 652. And the kind of last point I want to leave off here is that this wording by OSHA again, um general duty clause keeping employees safe from known hazards and it's just it's getting more and more the case that 652 is the recognized best practice for combustible dust at the end of the day once an explosion happens it's going to be too late to start the the process of doing a dha and you're going to be really looking at some legal liability here what is the state of the art in combustible dust safety well it's, it's 652 and the other related standards as well if something happens and an employee gets injured, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be increasingly more and more difficult to point to and say, well, this wasn't the engineering best practice or design. When it's integrated fully into the International Fire Code, when it's part of the, the OSHA citation process and many OSHA considerations, when your insurance company saying you need to do it, legal liability becomes a real issue. And it could be quite expensive to make an argument on whether or not it is the engineering best practice for a facility that's handling combustible dust. So those are sort of the different ways that NFPA 652 might apply to you and your facility. So we're going to close out this episode here. We covered the first three questions about NFPA 652. What is the problem? What is the structure of NFPA 652? What is it? What's in there? Does NFPA 652 apply to me? In next week's episode, we're going to talk about what does the DHA process look like and who is a qualified person? We're going to actually walk through an example DHA. We'll talk about the steps involved to do a what I'm calling a basic DHA, the bare minimum. Um, and we'll walk through a, an actual grain milling process and, and look at you know what does that actually look like at the end of the day. I guess we're going to do it through audio. So you'll have to visualize what that looks like as I explain it at the end of the day. Then we're going to talk about who is a qualified person. After that, we're going to get into the four common challenges in the application of NFPA 652. And these four challenges are around you know what is the first step in 652, what is the scope of a DHA? This one we talked about a lot in this episode, but there's some really important things that come out here. How to hire a DHA consultant, and how to complete a DHA yourself. So stay tuned for the next couple episodes. Um, next week, we're going to talk about this; these next two questions of what does a DHA process look like and who is a qualified person. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about these, five, these four common challenges with um, the application of NFPA 652. So again, if you want to get access to this presentation, you can do so by going to the NFPA 125th Anniversary Conference Series, finding the sessions that they have on keeping a hazardous environments safe, and this presentation be included in there. We'll also be doing this full presentation inside the Dust Safety Academy sometime at the, the latter half of this year, so you can get access in the Dust Safety Academy as well. It's free to join. If you're too late, if you're listening to this in the future, we'll be included in the, the library and the Dust Safety Academy Premium Membership. if you need any support with combustible dust, if you have combustible dust at your facility, if you're not sure the next steps are, you can always go to dustsafetyprofessionals.com, put a request in there, and we'll connect you in just a couple days with a company that um, can support you no matter where you are in the world with those combustible dust challenges. So as always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. I appreciate everything you're doing and she's handling combustible dust, making them safer every day with the work that you do.